0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. There once was a man called Marmaduke Wetherill, and he almost deserved it. Weatherall was a famous British actor in the 20s and 30s, and because he got to act in such movies as Robinson Crusoe and other sort of adventures, he also became a big game hunter as he would film movies um, in different locations around the world. And so when the London newspaper, the Daily Mail, needed somebody to go investigate a mystery, Uh, north of London, find out about some big game that might be up there. It's no shock or surprise that they sent Marmaduke up to Loch Ness to see if he could find evidence of the Loch Ness monster. And so Marmaduke gathers his things. He travels up to Scotland, and he gets there, and he looks around, and for the first two days, he finds nothing. He doesn't find anything at all. And then on the third day, something happens. He notices on the muddy banks of that lake, giant footprints, huge footprints of a foot across, huge. And so Marmaduke immediately sends word back to the Daily Mail, I've found evidence. I've found evidence of what is happening here. And then he takes and he places the plaster down to take the casting of the footprints that he has found. He returns and instead of him being hailed as the great discoverer and the guy who proved the Loch Ness monster to be true, he becomes a laughingstock. Somebody had taken a hippo's foot, probably the kind of hippo's foot that rich people of the time would have as umbrella cases by their door and had stamped those onto the shore of Loch Ness, Marmaduke Weatherall became a punchline, he became a joke. And he slides out of the picture of the story for a moment here, bitter and angry. Just a few years later, the Daily Mail is excited about the Loch Ness Monster again, because they have found an anonymously sourced picture called the Surgeon's Photograph. Now, if you have seen a picture of the Loch Ness Monster, this is the picture in your mind the super grainy old newsprint that looks like a kind of brontosaurus kind of skimming its way through the water. And they publish it and they say, here now we have photographic proof. We know now that there is something out there. And of course there's not. Of course there's not. But for 40 years, nobody could disprove this picture. People were always like, well, no, it's got to be faked. Something has to be wrong. That can't be it. That's not the case. But in a shocking twist in 1994, Wetherall's stepson revealed that it was actually Marmaduke Wetherall who orchestrated the taking of that photo orchestrated it being sent in to the Daily Mail. It was his last act of revenge. He had set up and made a toy submarine look like a dinosaur. He had set up the photograph just the way he wanted it, and he had had a friend of a friend send it into the paper so it couldn't be traced back to him. He had his revenge on the Daily Mail. Marmaduke Weatherall. For for nearly 50 years... There was a chance, a possibility, that maybe there was something wild in Loch Ness. The whole world was tricked. And that's something that we kind of understand. What, listen, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a dinosaur in a lake in Scotland? I mean, wouldn't that be a pretty amazing, fantastic thing? That, that would be a really cool world to live in. It pulls at the threads of our imagination, but it distracts us from the truth. And in so many ways, there are so many things that our faith is pulled in the same way. While most of us as Christians uh, who might be here this morning would quickly say that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, our hearts pull us in a different direction. The Galatian church was being tricked. They were being hoaxed into something that wasn't true. They were being hoodwinked into going back to the law of Moses for their security. And while we might not be as tempted by external sources like they were, the relentless pull of the idols of our hearts, the the never-ending waves of self-righteousness that come up in our hearts blind us to the truth of the gospel. Any tug towards self-justification in our life is always a deadly hoax perpetrated by the evil of the world around us, our sinful flesh, or the devil and his forces of darkness. And so what we need is to be re-centered on the truth of what Jesus' message was. And that's exactly what he does for the Galatian church. And that's exactly what we're going to get to see this morning, 2,000 years later. So if you are able, I would love for you to stand as I read Galatians 3... shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Paul has finished the biographical portion of the book of Galatians, and now he's going to go into his main argument, and he is coming out swinging. He is not holding any punches back. Uh, He is not just joking around. He is absolutely throwing punches at these false teachers. Why? Why is Paul so upset? Because the very heart of the gospel, the whole point of the message of Jesus is at stake here in the church in Galatia. He reminds them that Jesus was publicly shown to them, portrayed to them as crucified Before their eyes. This is Paul's summary of his preaching, the climax of the life of Jesus and his work to rescue us. It was on the cross that Jesus gave himself for us and is delivering us from this present evil age. That's where the Christian life starts. That's where the Christian life started for the Galatians when they believed that by faith. So, what have they wandered off to? What have they sort of been distracted by? They have been bewitched and distracted by the false teachings. That in order to be a true Christian, in order to be a real Christian, in order to be a mature Christian, you need to keep the Jewish laws. That's what they were being taught. That's what they were being seduced by. And so Paul, along with calling them foolish several times in this passage, uh, has one question for them. And Paul, much like any parent, uh you parents have done this. I have one question for you. And then Paul's going to go on and ask like five questions, right? It's a multi It's just one question in five parts. It's okay. But Paul says, look, I just, I just, let me ask some questions to you guys. First of all, how did you become a part of Messiah's family and be marked by the Holy Spirit? Was it by works of the law or was it by the hearing of faith? And Paul knows the answer because he was there when the Galatians came to know Christ. It was by their faith. Okay, next question. If that is how our faith started, do we need something else to grow? If we begin our life with Christ by faith, do we need something else to grow us in our Christian faith? And for Paul, the way that he phrases that question anticipates a no answer. The same thing that began our life as a part of Jesus' people is what sustains us in it. Faith, not external law-keeping. The boundary markers of the people of God has been and will always be faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And so again, Paul asks another question. Well, what about all the suffering that you went through? Was all of that suffering for nothing? No, no. They suffered because they aligned themselves with a different way of seeing and living in the world. A way that recognized a better king with a new multicultural family that cut across divides of Jews and Gentiles, Romans and Parthians, a new family set apart by faith. And so Paul asked the final question in this rapid fire uh, series of questions. Paul what, what Paul is doing is if you're a fan of uh, sports television, Paul is running a segment called Come On, Man, a segment on uh, sports TV. I think it was Shannon Sharp. I don't remember who it was, where they would walk through show clips of sports and he'd say, come on, man, w- what are you doing here? That's what Paul is doing. Paul is running his own version of religious Come On, Man, and he gets to his last one. Does God work in your lives because of your law-keeping or because of your faith in Christ? Paul, again, is assuming the right answer here. It's because of our belief. It has been all along. He points to Abraham and says, this is the way it has always been. This is the way that it has always gone. That it's faith that makes us whole, makes us right with God more on Abraham here in a second, but I know it's easy to sit there in a comfortable theater seat to sit back and say, ah, yes, yes, Justin, very foolish Galatians. I am so glad I'm not like them. How, how can Galatians be so dumb? I, I'm glad that I'm not a Galatian. But let's be honest. Let's think for just a second. Let's do a little bit of hard work here. Let's look to see if there are any ways that we seek to justify ourselves and our lives in the same way that the Galatian church did. Is our rule keeping what matters to us as Christians? Let me give you a few examples. Let me just think out loud for just a moment. Do you believe that your moral performance affects how your prayers are answered? Like, if you sin less today, are your prayers going to be more effective tomorrow? Not would you say this out loud, but in the quietness of your heart, do you think that? Foolish Christian. Do you measure your growth in Christ by how well you keep the rules of the Bible? Foolish Christian. Do you judge others by their rule-keeping and rule-breaking. Foolish Christian. Our acceptance as full and faithful parts of God's family isn't conditioned on any of our rule following. It is solely based on the faith of Jesus, who gave himself for us and is delivering us from this present evil age. We are already fully accepted, so you don't need to gas up your prayers with good works. Our growth comes from growing in faith and trusting in what Jesus has already done for us, not by earning new Christian merit badges. Beloved, what Jesus did was so glorious. What Jesus did was so perfect, so complete, that we could never hope to add anything to it. We need to wonder at the beauty that we have been fully adopted into his family. Let's marvel at the ways that we have been united to him in death and resurrection and let us that lead us to rest in him. Because this isn't just how it works for us. This is how it has worked throughout all time. That's been God's message all along. It's true for us. It's true for the Galatians. It was true all the way back to the oldest parts of the Old Testament. That's why Paul brings in Abraham. In verses 7 through 9, he shows us that faith has been the marker of God's family the whole time. Abraham wasn't blessed because of his law keeping. He wasn't blessed by keeping kosher or by practicing circumcision. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Paul's whole point here. That's the center of this passage. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul is quoting Genesis 15 here and that's meaningful and significant for two reasons. First of all, when God says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, it was no less than five years before God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision. Circumcision wasn't even on the table yet. And yet Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But more importantly, it shows that it has always been by faith that we approach God and never been about the law. God always saw his faith family as a multi-ethnic worldwide family. That's why Paul points out the second quote from Genesis 15. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This was never about Jewish boundary markers, Jewish kosher laws. Anyone from any time who has had faith in the work of the Messiah Jesus has been a part of the Messiah's family. Or to put it another way that some of you may know, Father Abraham has many sons and many sons has Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And if you are trusting in the work of Jesus, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Look, this is significant for us. This is meaningful. There has only ever been one people of God. There aren't two types of people. Those who are saved by rule keeping in the old days and those who are saved by grace and faith in the New Testament. No, there is just one family of God. The people of Jesus the Messiah united to him And one another through faith. Which, by the way, not for nothing, is the reason we practice baptism of infants. God has always given the sign of his covenant to the children of believers. And if God was doing that for thousands of years throughout the entire Old Testament, and we are a part of that same family of faith, it makes sense that it would continue on, that we would keep doing the same thing. But but I'm not going to chase that theological rabbit any further. Because Paul has a dire warning for us. He has a dire warning for the Galatians, and we need to hear and listen to it as well because he returns to the topic of law-keeping in verse 10. If you want to try and live your life by the law, the only thing that you're going to be able to earn or merit for yourself is a curse. Because the only way to fulfill the law is to keep every jot and tittle to keep every single point. And I don't know about you, I've read Deuteronomy. I've read Leviticus. And friends, it gets wild. There are laws about having coats that are made of mixed fabrics. You can't have a coat that is partially cotton and partially wool. So all of us who have ever worn polyester have already failed the test. We're already ruled out. The kosher laws are not just about what we eat, but the kosher laws incorporate when we can eat it and how we have to wash our hands before we eat it. Every fast, every feast that God commanded, every sacrifice, and if you fail on a single point, you fail the whole thing. What a terrible way to live. Constantly afraid that a single infraction is going to ruin everything you've done. But if we choose to base our faith on our rule-keeping, that's the burden that we're putting onto our own shoulders. That's what we are choosing to live under. In many ways, not only is Paul looking back at Genesis 15, but this has echoes of the Exodus story. Think, we if you've been around for a while, we went through Exodus this fall. Paul is showing us this choice that they have to live by faith and in freedom or to go under this yoke of slavery. It's messy out in the wilderness and it's going to take a while before we get to the promised land but it's better than the slavery of Egypt. Living by faith and not taking on the yoke of the slavery of the law has a lot more questions. There's a lot more uncertainty than living under the law, but it's a path of freedom and not of slavery. Because, because to choose to see ourselves as justified, or maybe not justified, to choose to see ourselves as a little bit better maybe a little bit more moral because of how well we keep the rules, is to take on ourselves the yoke of an impossible master. None of us can live up to the Lord. None of us can merit any justification by rule following. And Paul proves that point by quoting Habakkuk 2. The righteous shall live by faith. Our growth And progress as Christians is by faith, not by works, not even a little, not even a scotch. And by quoting a prophet, Paul is setting up and showing that this is what the whole Old Testament is about. From Genesis at the very beginning to one of the last prophets, Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Abraham was believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The prophets preached it. it. The law taught it all along. This is why Jesus says that all the law and the prophets point to him. He's the fulfillment of the promises. And more than that, Jesus kept the law perfectly on our behalf. He took the test and then slipped us the answers. Not only does he keep the law so it can be free from its demands, He takes the curse of the law that we deserved. The one person who keeps the law perfectly is the one person who faces the curse of the law most acutely. He was cut off so that we might become whole. He was killed so that we might have life. He died so that we could rise. He gave up his spirit so that he might send that same spirit into our hearts. All of us, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, find blessings in the work of Jesus. It's just about Him. He has made us into one family, and He does it solely by faith. His grace flows to us only by faith. And any time we try to add our good works, our good behavior to our faith, what we're really doing, what we're really saying— is that Jesus wasn't enough. Jesus' perfect law-keeping wasn't enough, so he needs my good behavior to make up the gap. Jesus' perfect death wasn't enough, so he needs my penance to make it work. No, the death and life of Jesus Christ was fully sufficient to make us fully acceptable before God. We do not need to help Jesus. Jesus. He does not need a booster from our obedience. Foolish Christians, foolish Justin, who is tempted to believe this. I'm reminded of an old hymn, like a really old hymn. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Oh, because Jesus paid it all took the father's cup of wrath, and as he drank it through the dregs. Oh, he gave his life instead of mine. Weary, working, burdened one, why do you labor so? Cease your doing. All was done on the cross long ago. Beloved, let's abandon our self-righteous works. Let's lay aside our self-salvation projects. Let's stop trying to control and manipulate God's blessing with our behavior. Let's look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's marvel and revel at the complete deliverance and rescue that he has made and accomplished in our lives. And let's be shaped by that beauty. Let's be shaped by that idea because anything else is just a hoax we're playing on ourselves. Let's pray.